Welcome to Conservation Cafe. This is a podcast for those of you engaged at the front lines of the conservation and sustainability battles. I'm your host, Hilary Wilkinson. I'm a science communication and stakeholder engagement expert, and this podcast shines a bright spotlight on the battles we are winning, and even more importantly, how they're being won. Thanks for tuning in. And it was finally just came to a point where we've got to address the issue. We can't just let it sit. From the sandy beaches of Hawaii to the rocky coastlines of Oregon and Washington, resource managers are pulling their hair out over an emerging threat, abandoned and derelict vessels. Also known as ADVs, they cause endless problems like blocking maritime navigation channels or leaching pollutants into waterways, impacting habitat, fish, and wildlife. They can also close swimming beaches and they can impact fisheries. A 2020 report estimates that In each of the West Coast jurisdictions of California, Oregon, Washington, Alaska, Hawaii, and British Columbia, there are hundreds of recreational ADVs and dozens of commercial ADVs littering the waterways. And they estimate that about $20 million is needed in each of those jurisdictions just to address the backlog. At the moment, taxpayers are shouldering the financial burden caused by these ADVs. One particularly notable case was in Oregon, where a former U.S. Navy ship, the Davy Crockett, cost $22 million of taxpayer dollars to deal with. But the news is not all grim, and in today's episode, I feature one particularly bright light shining in the state of Oregon. Now on to the interview. All right. I would like to welcome my guest today, Glenn Dolphin of the Oregon Marine Board to the Conservation Cafe Studios. And Glenn, I'd love it if you could introduce yourself, kind of describe your position with the Oregon Marine Board, and maybe tell my listeners what inspired you to get into this line of work of dealing with clean marinas and abandoned and derelict vessels. Well, thanks, Hillary, for the invitation to be on your show today. As you mentioned, I'm Glenn Dolphin with the Oregon State Marine Board. Actually, have been working for the agency going on 15 years now, and so I have held two different positions at the agency over those years, and the, those two positions have combined now <laughs> in my position. So I started just coordinating our statewide clean marina program, and I did that for four or five years. And then the state implemented a aquatic invasive species prevention program. And I transitioned into the coordinator for that effort at the state marine board. Did that, that for seven years full time. And then clean marina came back onto my plate. And so now I'm a 50-50 split between the two programs. Well, thank you for that. Sounds like an interesting journey to get to this point today. And as you know, I have invited you here to our studios to talk specifically about an effort that you are undertaking and leading in Oregon to get your clean marinas to reduce and remove abandoned and derelict vessels. So I was wondering if you could help my listeners understand what it is we're talking about when we're talking about abandoned and derelict vessels, which is kind of our focus here today. What are they? What What's the problem with them? Right. Good question. So officially, an abandoned vessel is one that is left without authorization on public or private land or state waters. 
in a derelict vessel is that a vessel that's either sinking, actively polluting, obstructing a waterway, or endangering life or property. An enforcement agency in Oregon, i.e. a government agency, court, the state, law enforcement, local government, like a Parks and Recreation Department, uh, are considered enforcement agencies of this, and they have the authority to seize vessels that would meet these definitions. Now, that being said, some derelict boats still have owners. Uh, They may be at a marina or they may be anchored in the river somewhere. And these boats are usually being used in not a recreational fashion, but more maybe like a home or such. And so the issue is environmental, but it also crosses over into social issues, unfortunately, around cities. You and I sit on a work group together, the Abandoned and Derelict Vessel Work Group, which is, of course, like representative of all the West Coast states that are trying to grapple and tackle this issue. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But in those discussions of of that work group, people are constantly sharing like their latest horror story of of an abandoned and derelict vessel. And the one that really sticks in my mind is the Point Estero in California, which has become a bit of a poster child for what the problem is on the West Coast. And, you know, the state of Oregon obviously has a problem, but this is much bigger than just the state of Oregon, right? But anyway, the Point Estero is just a great example because it's a commercial vessel, it's a fishing boat that basically crashed on the rocks off a state park in California. The owner was uninsured, walked away, because it's a commercial boat, the state of California can't deal with it because they don't have a commercial ADV program, but they only have recreational. So their funding doesn't support it. And the federal government through the U.S. Coast Guard has authority to come on board and remove the pollutants, the oils and gases that are on board, but they don't have the authority to remove the vessels. So it's been there since 2017. It's still there. I think probably anyone listening to this has probably seen an abandoned and derelict vessel without maybe even knowing it right? They're everywhere. Uh, it's very possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately. And I've heard you say a couple times in meetings that we've been in on this topic that you think the issue in Oregon in particular is spiraling out of control. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more about that. Like, why do you think that's happening? So as I mentioned, you know, I've been doing this work with the Marine Board for 15 years. And so when I started back in 2006, ADVs were not an issue the Marine Board was presented with. We had a small budget line item for $150,000 per two-year budget cycle to work on the issue. And there were many years early on where we didn't even use the money because there were no ADVs being reported to the state Marine Board. And we weren't noticing the issue out on the water. None of our partners were making a big deal out of it. And so it kind of just wasn't something we were actively concerned about back in 2006. It probably wasn't until about 2010 or so, maybe 11, that the problem started to materialize itself much more and has spiraled out of control over the last decade, for sure. So when I would go to marinas and do site visits for the Clean Marina program, rarely would I see boats that are unseaworthy or not being taken care of. 
Occasionally you might find one here and there, but it wasn't something you would regularly see. And just last year, uh, because the problem has gotten so bad, the Clean Marina program added new standards to the program to work on preventing this issue. So what we're finding is that boat owners would not use their boat in the marina for a decade or two decades, and the boat would fall into disrepair. The marina was not requiring the boat owner to keep the boat seaworthy. And so once it came to a point of the boat owner making a decision, do I invest money to fix the boat up or do I sell it and get rid of it for a cheap price? That was normally what was happening. And so the boat would remain derelict. It would be sold for a cheap price. The new owner wouldn't fix it up and the cycle would continue on until the an owner decided that uh, they couldn't sell it and they didn't want it. So they would walk away from it and disappear and leave it for the marina to deal with. We were also running into marinas selling these boats for a dollar, and then they would end up on the river with somebody living in it. And it wasn't a seaworthy vessel to begin with. And now someone's living on it. So it's very unsafe for the people and then not safe for the environment because it was in risk of sinking at any time. So that's how I see the problem has materialized over the last decade. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. It sounds like in Oregon in particular, a lot of it is boats are essentially at the end of their their functional lifespan and they get pawned off for cheap to somebody else who then cannot maintain it and, and make it or keep it seaworthy. And so it sort of deteriorates into a state of unseaworthiness and becomes derelict, right? Yes, right. So when they're out on the river, they would tend to sink. And when they're at the marina, thankfully, the marina staff can keep an eye on the boat and put water pumps in it if it's needed to keep it afloat. Because once a boat sinks, it's about triple the cost to remove it and dispose of it than one that is still floating. Yeah. Ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Very applicable here. I've heard people say multiple times over the years that I've been working on this issue, that if we dealt with our cars at the end of life, the way that we deal with boats at the end of life, none of us would be able to leave our driveway and go to the store. So there's just something very different about the way we're managing boats in our society versus the way we manage cars which is very interesting. Yeah, the only way that I've been able to try and understand that dilemma or that dynamic is that used cars, even at the end of their life, have financial value to them. They're worth more than a dollar. There's lots of parts that can be reused and sold, i.e. we have lots of junkyards around our country. It's profitable to be a junkyard owner. Um, I'm not aware of any boat junkyards, especially in Oregon. Maybe there's some in another state that I'm not aware of, but typically these boats that are end of life don't have much value to them. Uh, It's expensive to remove a boat from the water. It's a couple thousand dollars. Well, it's not that expensive to tow a car to a junkyard. Fairly cheap. So that is part of the problem is we don't have junkyards for boats to go to and be reused in the way that cars are. 
Yeah. And I think now what I'd like to do is start to pivot away from kind of the problem of abandoned and derelict vessels and and start to focus in on the solutions. And of course, I've invited you here today to speak specifically about what I consider to be an amazing and innovative effort that you have underway in Oregon to try to prevent vessels from becoming abandoned or derelict in Oregon's clean marinas. And I was wondering if you could just speak a little bit about that effort. Yeah. So, you know, we're uh, back in 2019, prior to our pandemic, we were trying to find solutions. We've got to get a handle on this problem. It's spiraling out of control. And so what we came up with is, well, we have a set of, of marinas in Oregon that are all certified environmentally through the Clean Marina Program. We have 62 of them in the state. And they voluntarily work with us on best management practices to protect the environment. So we thought, hey, if we're going to maybe start somewhere, maybe we start with this group of marinas that are very engaged in protecting the environment. However, in the Clean Marina program, there was never a standard for preventing abandoned and derelict boats. So we decided, let's add a new standard and try and prevent this problem in the future. So what we came up with is that if marina managers implement and follow through with a new set of best management practices, that we could prevent future abandoned boats from being a problem and just try and get a handle on what we currently have. So we were limited on funding and we needed to offer these marinas an incentive. And so we applied to NOAA and received a grant through their Marine Debris Removal Program uh, to work with our clean marinas in the state to prevent future ADVs. So we came up with a new set of best management practices, and there's three of them. And so the first one is for marina managers to actively enforce the state boat registration requirement. So boats in Oregon are required to be registered every two years, just like a car. And any boat in the water is required to be currently registered, whether it leaves the dock or not. It's floating in the water. It needs to be registered. And what we found when we really started to look closer is there were boats in clean marinas with stickers that were four to six years expired. And nobody was holding the boat owner accountable to renew that registration. So what we have found is that abandoned and derelict boats almost always have expired stickers and are almost always multiple years expired. So if we could get that, that's an easy first step. Then we need to have the boat owners maintain a seaworthy vessel. That simply means uh, the vessel can leave the docks on its own power leave the marina footprint, do a 360 and come back to the dock and redock under its own power. It's a pretty simple standard, but there are boats that can't meet that standard and they're not seaworthy. So that's an issue and it needs to be addressed and it needs to, the boat owners need to be held accountable to fix their boats. The third BMP to round it out is that either the boat owner needs to carry insurance policy that covers not only like liability issues, but also environmental issues, spills, and if the boat were to sink, for it to be salvaged through an insurance claim. 
And if the marina doesn't want to require boat owners to do that, then the marina itself needs to hold an insurance policy that would cover all of that activity if it were to happen at the docks. So we feel like if a marina were to implement all three and aggressively enforce all three on a regular basis, then we feel like future abandoned boats would be much less. And we've received mixed reviews from the marina managers on this activity, but they all realize it's a very important issue that we need to all work on collaboratively. The marina is not going to solve the issue by itself. The state marine board is not going to solve the issue by itself. And we need law enforcement help. So we really have to create a partnership between multiple organizations to help solve the problem. Well, it's, it's very impressive what you are undertaking down there. I remember when I first became aware of this problem in 2017 was when it kind of first came to my attention. I was frankly kind of surprised that owners of boats don't need to hold insurance policies and can just kind of leave them in the water to sink and cause environmental problems, things like that. It just, it was very surprising to me. And this requirement of having insurance for vessel removal, if it comes to that, to me, seems like a no brainer. And I know that in Washington state where I happen to live, they already have a you know state law that requires insurance of vessel owners. So are you partially modeling after the Washington law? Well, this is not a statewide law for all boat owners. That would require new legislation. And in the past, when boaters have been surveyed about that issue, they overwhelmingly said, we don't support being required to have insurance on our boats. Uh, If you look nationally, very, very, very few states have that requirement. I, I don't know which ones, but I think it's you can count them on one hand kind of a thing. And so, believe it or not, not all states in the U.S. require boat owners to go through a boating safety class. I would say about three quarters of the states in the country have a law that says if you own a boat with a motor, you must go through a safety class. <laughs> one would think that would be the bar to hit and that all states would implement that, but it's not the case. Recreational boating is not managed nationally like um, driving your car. It's not a apples to apples <laughs> comparison. So recreational boating has a lot of hands-off government kind of things going on. However, there comes a time when there needs to be laws and regulations to help prevent environmental pollution. And this is one of them. So working voluntarily with the Clean Marina managers is the heart of the Clean Marina program. And we feel working voluntarily in this fashion and partnering will get farther than regulatory and forcing people into it. Yeah, and I, one of the reasons I said earlier in the interview that I kind of consider your effort to be innovative is exactly that, that you're taking an approach that is really building partnerships and getting people to voluntarily step into this versus kind of the heavy hand of the government with regulations, which we all know doesn't always work and isn't always well-received, rarely well-received. So you mentioned something earlier I want to kind of pick up the thread on. You said you had mixed 
reviews or mixed feedback from the marina managers in terms of implementation. Could you speak a little bit more about some of the maybe some of the initial pushback that you had and whether any of them are kind of coming along and recognizing that it's not only good for the environment and the and the waterways, but maybe good for them as marina managers? Yeah, I was surprised on a little bit of pushback. And so essentially what that pushback has been in a few circumstances was that the marina manager didn't feel it was his job to police his docks. It was a the local sheriff's department's job to police his docks. So in Oregon, the State Marine Board contracts with county sheriff departments to have what are called Marine Patrol deputies that are solely, their work is to enforce state voting laws. And the Marine Board supports those county sheriff departments financially to enforce state voting laws. So I ran into some marina managers that didn't want to enforce the state registration requirement on their docks. They felt that was not their job to do. And those were some of the marinas where you would find the four and six year expired stickers. And so I kind of had to just have a conversation to let them kind of hopefully realize that by them not enforcing state registration, allowing boats to fall into a derelict disrepair condition and not holding boat owners accountable would catch up to the marina eventually if it already hadn't. And a couple of these marinas that pushed back had already dealt with abandoned boats in their past. It's expensive for a marina to have to go through the seizure process and become the owner of the boat and then either sell it or demolish it. And so some marinas have dealt with that more often and they're sick and tired of it. So they were more than happy to partner with Marine Board to start ramping up their enforcement. And then other marinas were a little more hands-off and they didn't want to go down that road. But what we were able to offer these marinas is financial assistance to get rid of these abandoned boats. And so at no cost to the marina, that's where the NOAA grant kicks in. This initiative with our clean marinas is called the Abandoned Vessel Removal Assistance Program, and that's abbreviated AVRAP. So you as a marina become the owner of abandoned boat. You submit that boat to the Marine Board and we pay to have it removed and disposed of at no cost to the marina. But we are asking the marina to sign a memorandum of understanding that they will ramp up their management and implement and enforce the three best management practices I spoke about earlier. That is great. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about the you know the actual tangible results of this effort i know it's still underway it's it's a i think it's kind of your first year of taking it on but what kind of tangible results have you seen so far both in terms of preventing new abandoned and derelict vessels and or removing them yeah so this problem is not present in all corners of the state of oregon And it's primarily a problem that's present at year-round moorages, where people can have their boat year-round. So small moorages that are seasonal, we don't run into this problem. And so basically, the problem in Oregon exists from uh, the Portland metro area on the Columbia River 
down to Astoria on the coast, and then from Astoria south down the coast to Brookings. That's our area of most concern and most activity for abandoned and derelict boats. So out of the 62 marinas in Oregon that are clean marinas, you know, there's a little less than half of those marinas reside in the problem area I described. And some of my clean marinas were already actively enforcing these requirements. So it was nothing new for them. However, we did just start the program, as you mentioned, this year in 2021. So it's a two-year program. NOAA has provided us two years of funding. And so this first year, removal and disposal of these boats are primarily going to be done in the late spring and during the summer into the early fall. That's kind of the window. We're not really doing this work during the winter time. And so as since June, that that's when we started first removing vessels with marinas, uh, we've removed seven vessels so far from four different marinas. We still have two more ports on the coast to complete work this fall. They will be removing five additional boats. And I was just informed yesterday by one of these ports that they have an additional five that they've become new owners of this summer that they would like to add to their list. And so we're more than happy to add an additional five from that port. And so once we get those done by the end of the fall for the 2021 season, we will have removed 17 vessels from the Queen Marinas. All of varying sizes and composition from 20-foot fiberglass sailboat to a 40-foot wooden Chris Craft cabin cruiser from the 60s. That is really impressive. I remember back when we were on the work group together, we produced a couple of reports that are guiding the West Coast states to developing kind of comprehensive abandoned derelict vessel programs. And one of the things that we did was try to figure out what's the average cost of removing an abandoned derelict vessel. And of course, there's a very different price tag if it's a commercial vessel that apparently that can be like upwards of a million and sometimes more to deal with a really big, complicated commercial vessel. But I think the average price tag on removing a recreational vessel, if I remember right, it was like 20 to 30K. Could you speak, is that no lower than that? What What is it? Yeah, so a 20-something fiberglass sailboat is one that we've come across quite often as an abandoned derelict boat. And if it's floating, we can normally get rid of that vessel in about three to $4,000. If that 25-foot fiberglass sailboat is sunk, then times that by three. <laughs> Basically, we're talking about, you know, 10 to $15,000. Now, you know, a 35-foot wooden Chris Craft from the 60s, that one's going to be a little more expensive. It's If it's floating, that one's going to be somewhere around five to $7,000 to get rid of. And then if it sinks, again, you triple that cost and it'd be closer to your $20,000 mark. Right. So that's where we come into this concept of an ounce of prevention, pound of cure 
kind of thing that getting these out of the waterways while they're still floating is critical to reducing costs. And often, I mean, in your program, the the cost of removal is borne by taxpayer dollars, correct? Because it's funding specifically from NOAA. Is that the case with most abandoned and derelict vessels that ultimately government entities that pay for them? Yes, unfortunately, once a boat gets to that abandoned condition, it's generally very difficult to find who was the last owner. We may may have a name and an address, but that person no longer lives at that address and has no forwarding address. So we generally can't find somebody that's the responsible party to go after them for recovery of the cost to remove. So generally speaking, the government is end up ends up with the bill, unfortunately. And this kind of circles us back to your program with the Oregon Clean Marinas. Like you mentioned, there's three best management practices that you are now requiring to be part of their certification. And one of them being the boat has to be registered. Right. So we've got boat owners still attached to boats when they're in marinas, you know, 99% of the time. And so if we've got a boat owner attached to a derelict, non-seaworthy boat that's still paying a mortgage fee to the marina annually, then we have an opportunity to hold that boat owner accountable for the condition of their boat on state waters. That's really what we need to do is have boat owners maintain their boats in a seaworthy condition. And if not, then they should remove the boat from the water and put it on their private property. So, Glenn, I can imagine that there's potentially some other folks in your position and or marina managers from elsewhere on the West Coast or elsewhere in the country that are listening to this thinking like, oh, my gosh, what a great idea. I want to do that, too. What advice would you give them in terms of taking the steps that you took to change how marinas operate to reduce and prevent abandoned and derelict vessels? Yeah, I think the best, you know, advice to give some other states is really to kind of work through the clean marina program that is hopefully in place in their state. These are programs that work with marinas that are willing and wanting to help protect the environment. And these are facilities that are welcoming folks like myself that might work for a state agency to come to their site and walk the site, fill out a checklist and talk about any issues that are there. So these are very open-minded, proactive marinas, generally speaking, that are participants in clean marina programs. And so in Oregon, we just had not added the standard to try and prevent abandoned boats because we weren't dealing with the issue 10 years ago. And so over the last 10 years, we were just kind of like, we got to do something. And this is the idea we came up with. So I've already been contacted by the state of Maryland, for example, as they want to duplicate what we're doing in Oregon. So about a month ago, the Clean Marina Program Coordinator in Maryland contacted myself and my coworker about what we're doing and wanted some advice on how she could put an application in to be as successful as we were with NOAA. So we were more than happy to share our work with others to help them maybe mimic what we're doing and perhaps see other successes as well. As I mentioned, this is a two-year project to kind of get this going. So next summer, we have another round of funding available for marinas 
to continue removing abandoned boats. And our idea next summer actually is to maybe offer a vessel turn-in program to boat owners. So if you're a boat owner and you don't have the financial means to fix your boat up to become seaworthy, that's a, a roadblock for you as a boat owner, then if you don't use the boat and you can't fix it up, maybe it's time to move on. And if you as a boat owner were willing to just turn over the boat to the marina for free, sign the title over, and then the marina would work through the marine board to dispose of that boat. That's our tentative plan for year two next year. I'm so glad you mentioned the vessel turn-in program because, as you know, that's something that was discussed at length in this work group that we were both on. And, you know, we're here speaking today about one very specific targeted program within the state of Oregon, within certified clean marinas, to try to prevent more abandoned and derelict vessels and remove some that are already there. But as we both know, it's a much bigger, more complicated, messy issue than just that. And there's lots and lots of different fixes and solutions that have been kind of put on the table and need to be advanced. One of them being the establishment of a vessel turn-in program. I know they have one in Washington. There's one in California. I believe there's one in Texas. So there's some great examples of them out there just programs that vessel owners can bring, you know, if they qualify, can kind of take care of the end of life there. Yeah. So I I do think this is a really great initiative to try and pursue more. The one issue, a lot of this work and, and other environmental work too, is having the financial means to accomplish what you want. I didn't mention this in the very beginning. However, I guess I will now just to put Oregon's structure and problem solving in perspective. The state marine board, we are a very small state agency. We have 40 staff. (laughs) We have one office and we rely a lot on partners to get our programs implemented. We as an agency are what's considered a independently funded state agency. And what that means is that we don't receive any of the state general fund tax dollars. We don't receive any of them, zero. Nor do we receive any of the state's allocation of accumulated lottery dollars that go to a lot of state agencies for environmental programs. We receive zero. So we only receive boat registration and boat titling dollars into our budget. And then we use those state boater fees to leverage federal grants to bring a little bit more money into the agency to implement some programs. So so this NOAA grant is a great example of us supplementing some of our state funding which I mentioned earlier, we only have 150,000 every two years, where the state of Washington and the state of California have more like a million dollar budget every two years. So the magnitude of funding in Washington and California is on a magnitude so much greater than what we have in Oregon. And for better or worse, the Marine Board's funding structure is what constricts us on that vessel turn-in efforts. So we've really never done a vessel turn-in in program in Oregon before. And so we've talked about it, but again, you need the funding to be able to pull it off. 
So we're very hopeful that our, our small effort next year will be successful and then maybe we'll be able to leverage more funding in the future going forward from the federal government. But for state funding in Oregon, it's just not there for this environmental issue. So I think I'm hearing from you a hope that there would be an infusion of federal funding to the state of Oregon to kind of help beef up this program, specifically, you know, around implementing a vessel turn-in program. Yeah, I mean, the federal government helps with a lot of environmental issues around the country. And I can use the other half of my job as an example, working in the Aquatic Invasive Species Prevention the state of Oregon, a lot of other Western states, we implement highway boat inspection stations looking for boats that are traveling with aquatic invasive species on them. Well, again, in Oregon, we have a very limited budget for that work. It's tied to a boater fee that every boater pays $5 extra on top of their registration. And in fact, we charge $5 to canoes and kayaks and rafts as well, over 10 feet. And that money generates a budget to implement our highway boat inspection program. However, the Corps, U.S. Corps of Engineers, about four whatever years ago, through an act of Congress, is now matching the states of Oregon's funding for that aquatic invasive species program 50-50. So we're spending about 600000 a year in state funds on that effort. And the U.S. Corps is matching us with an additional 600000 So the Aquatic Invasive Species Program has an annual budget of about $1.2 million. It's a great example of how the federal government could start helping states with their abandoned and derelict vessel programs and be assisting us to get more results. Thank you for sharing that. As we start to wrap this interview up, I want to just share with you some headlines that I recently compiled on this topic of abandoned and derelict vessels, I kind of want to give people a sense of just how big and complicated and messy and widespread this topic is. I mean, we've been focused on Oregon, obviously, but this is a problem all over the world. But here's just a few headlines that maybe will give people a sense of what's happening here. So the first is nine derelict vessels to be removed under Euclidet Inlet, I can't pronounce that, as part of a $2.5 million cleanup. And this is from the Vancouver Island Free Daily, so big problem in Canada as well. Feds fund removal of more derelict boats from waters off Vancouver Island, more from Canada. Agencies work on solution for sunken and abandoned boats on Lake Tahoe. And then interestingly, this is something that has really struck me lately, that apparently the pandemic has actually exacerbated the problem of abandoned and derelict vessels. It was actually predicted by some of the ADV experts as the pandemic was starting, and sure enough, their predictions are bearing out. So here's a couple headlines. Why the pandemic may be causing a rising tide of abandoned boats in the San Francisco Bay, and another cost of COVID, Washington State saw a sharp increase in derelict boats in 2020. So things are getting worse, not better, and you are luckily starting a program that is one drop in a big bucket that will hopefully turn the tide someday, and I just want to commend you for taking that step and having the wherewithal to pursue the federal funding and start the program. And I just kind of want to end with, you know, any further thoughts you have, any more advice you have, any thoughts on the headlines I just read? You know, what what do you think people should know about this? 
Yeah, it's it's a sad state of affairs that it's come to this point as, you know, the pandemic has impacted all of our lives so drastically in different ways. Some boat owners, you know, are no longer able to afford to keep the boat, so they kind of walk away from it or, or they sell it for a dollar to somebody that is homeless and they don't have a place to stay out of the weather. And so, you know, a nice little 20-foot sailboat anchored on the side of the river is, is better than sleeping underneath a tree. And so we have a social issue that's been intertwined with this, unfortunately. And so there has been some hands off on people that are living on boats during the pandemic. These boats may have expired registration stickers and are not seaworthy and are anchored on the shoreline of a river in the city of Portland. However, they're not being removed from their boat, and we're not removing that boat from the water. It's providing shelter for someone as an unfortunately, perhaps unsafe shelter. It's a better shelter than they're receiving on the sidewalk in the city. So we're not going to solve the social problem. There's others working on that. And so we've just really tried hard to find the place where we could make a difference. And that was at a marina in the clean marina program that we were already working with that we noticed derelict boats were coming from. Well, Glenn, I just want to thank you for being a guest here in the Conservation Cafe studio today. And I want to thank you and your colleagues at the Oregon Marine Board for taking on this difficult issue for giving all of us some hope that we can start turning the tide on it and kind of steering in the direction that we need to head. So I wish you all the best of luck. I look forward to kind of hearing the ongoing successes that I'm sure will happen over the next five years, as you said. And uh, thanks again. Well, thanks again, Hillary, for inviting me on your your show. And um, I really appreciate all the work you're doing yourself. A quick recap of today's episode, ADVs continue to be a big, big problem that seems to be getting worse. There's lots of challenges to resolve, but there's a lot of reason to be hopeful too. In Oregon, they're actively preventing new ADVs from coming online by reconfiguring their clean marina certification criteria so that the owners of the vessels have to show proof of registration and that their vessel is seaworthy. They also had to show that either they or the marina managers have insurance so that if a problem emerges from their boat, the cost will be covered. And now I want to make a personal announcement. This is the final episode of season one of Conservation Cafe. Our next season will start in 2022, and it's going to focus on progress at the front lines of the battles over climate change. I welcome your thoughts and suggestions, especially about this critically important topic. I'm also looking for sponsorship, so please visit our website, conservationcafe.org, to provide input and also to get in touch, especially if you're interested in providing some sponsorship. Thanks, as always, for listening. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Conservation Cafe. You can find more information, including links to resources mentioned during the episode, at our website, conservationcafe.org. This podcast is a production of Veda Environmental, which connects the dots between science, policy, and people. I'd like to thank my Veda crew, Sarah Brace, Marie Roethlisberger, and Melanie Del Rosario. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day. Mm-hmm.